0: I'm going to read an excerpt from Early One Morning, the book by Virginia Bailey, which I had mentioned uh, in a previous podcast. And this is also tying in with one of the other books I mentioned um, called The Messenger, where a lot of the Italians were working as resistance uh, during the occupation and were printing, delivering uh, anti-fascist, Uh, documentation all around the cities. The the Messenger was based around Venice and Early One Morning uh, has the basis in Rome. So this particular excerpt is in the first chapter and it's going into a little bit of background as to the main character of the book and how she suddenly changes her own life in a split moment decision. So, where are we? I'm just going to read you a little bit because it's a very long chapter. So, we are talking about the labour camp and uh, when this war is over, he says, they'll be back one day. They watch as the last person in the line passes. Nonna Torta brings up the rear, swaying and muttering. She is in her nightdress and slippers with her pinny on top. She has no bag across the way two Nazi officers are talking their backs resting against the stonework each with the sole of his left foot encased in its knee-high boot flat to the wall in a disquieting but almost reassuring symmetry gennaro is crying did you know you have a hungry cat and some kittens in your storeroom cupboard chiara says a cat he says i'll take her some milk he goes back to the counter and bends down rooting about got some little biscuits she might like, he says, and disappears into the back room. Kiara steps out into the street and joins a small group of bystanders. She places herself at the rear, beside a woman with an unkempt grey hair, who holds both hands to her cheeks as if she is resisting covering her eyes. Kiara, too, knows that she has to watch this whole spectacle. She has to bear witness." Then, when she has borne witness, she can perhaps walk away. She can go back to her life. She can gather up her sister and some rations and clothes, and she can leave the city and take refuge in their grandmother's house in the mountains and wait for the allies to arrive. Her mind flies away to the sheep in the meadow behind her grandmother's house. Always, all of her life, this field, the feel of it, the smell of the grass and the wild oregano that grows in the hedgerows. The clearness of the air, fresh and sparkling and brighter than the air in the valleys. The view of the other hills, the way they undulate away in all directions. All of this has been a comfort to her. The cleanness and the safety of hills, she longs for them. The inhabitants of the ghetto have been corralled into a hollow in the road in front of the theatre of Martulus, where the ground has been excavated. Elsewhere from the direction of the river come shouting and the crack of gunshot, but these people who stand waiting among the ruined, broken pillars are hushed. The tarpaulins on the side of the lorries have been rolled up, and this now homeless throng are made to climb aboard. The gap between the witnesses and the rounded-up Jews is widening. It's as if she is watching them across a swelling river. A young family catches her eye. They are already on the back of one of the trucks, and have managed to stay together. The father is intent, serious, handsome in his shirt and tie, suit and coat. He has a high forehead, and his curly hair has been dampened down. He is the sort of man who might smoke a pipe, Chiara thinks, as her own father had done, and who might stick it in his mouth and suck on it while he was pondering a difficulty, then remove it to make a pronouncement. The sort of man who is not hasty in his judgments... Now he is trying to find a way of being the man of the family, of retaining some dignity. In his arms he holds a curly-haired girl, chubby face with fat little wrists protruding from her big buttoned coat, eyes sparkling as if this is an adventure. In between the husband and wife stands another, bigger child, a boy, perhaps seven or eight years old. He is clutching the sleeve of his mother's coat. It is the woman who draws Chiara's attention. She holds a toddler, whose mouth is turned down, as if in parody of the looks of the faces of the surrounding adults. The woman is better dressed than most of her than, than most, and gives the impression of having chosen her outfit with care, not hurriedly throwing on whatever she could find in the frantic minutes before they were forced out of their homes. This woman wears pearl stud earrings and a dark green hat on the back of her head. Her coat is also dark green, tightly belted. It is like a going-away outfit. Perhaps when the terrible hullabaloo was taking place at four this morning, she didn't retreat fearfully into the nethermost recess of her apartment, nor pull the blanket over her head, but dared to look out and saw the Nazi soldiers running amok. And when they were interrupted their mayhem, instead of thinking it was over and going back to bed, she made the family get up and get dressed, She fed them bread and a hot drink. She packed their bags, one for each of them. This family, Kiara thinks, had been going to run, but they didn't do it fast enough. The woman's eyes flicked from side to side, searching the crowd. If the gap between the onlookers and the Jews is now a torrent, this woman is still searching for a bridge, a raft, a piece of flotsam. Kiara is staring at the woman, and the woman's restless gaze finds her. The woman bends down and unpicks her son's fingers from her coat and pushes him away. Kiara glances at the child, back up to the woman who is still fixing her steadily, down to the boy who has grabbed a different handful of cloth. Kiara focuses on the mother's fingers as she unfurls the claw of her child's hand, prizing him off again. Kiara's eyes swivel between mother and son, but the woman never takes her eyes off Kiara. She grips the boy's shoulder says something, and the boy stands clear of her, hands dangling by his sides. The boy, only straight-haired, the only straight-haired member of his family, is neatly turned out, grey shorts, socks pulled up, one knee scabby. Then Kiara is shouting and pushing her way to the front of the crowd, shrugging off a restraining hand that briefly rests on her arm. "'My nephew!' she shouts out. "'That's my nephew!' pointing at the boy." This child is yours, the soldier who is directing operations as the truck asks in heavily accented Italian. Yes, she said, my sisters. The boy wobbles on the edge of the truck, his face stretched, intense but unfocused. He is like the child made to stand on a stool in front of the class, singled out for humiliation. Pass him down to me, come to auntie darling, Chiara shouts out. Encouraged by the sound of her own voice, shrill, maternal, outrage, she keeps up the clamour, holding out her arms to receive him. Some of the people join around join in. Pass that boy down. This is his aunt. And even from somewhere in the group, a man's voice, that boy is no Jew. A soldier of superior rank appears and demands to see Chiara's papers. She recognises him as one of the two that were leaning against the wall opposite Gennaro's bar. While he unfolds her documents, the boy is handed down. He is stiff and heavy. She sets him down beside her, pulls him tight into her flank, gripping his hand. She can feel the tautness in him. She does not look at the mother again. She must not see doubt. She looks instead at the officer's face, lean and clean-shaven, up to his peaked hat, along to the tip of his revolver, down to the skull and crossbones collar patch. She notices the gold thread on his epaulette and the stitching that has torn at some point and been re-sewn before clumsily in a different coloured thread. The damp patch between his sh- her shoulders throbs as if expecting a bullet. It will surely struggle straight straight through to her heart. My sister, she comments, staring at the trail of thread, is a seamstress. You wouldn't even see the stitches if she had done that mending. She doesn't. She knows he doesn't understand her. They are just words she sends out to try to pierce the bubble of silence that has descended on them like a solid domed roof. A great emptiness fills her head, as if she might be about to faint. Spinster, the officer says, pointing to the word with his ungloved hand. He is my sister's boy, she replies. He looks at her and at the child. Is it enough that the words of the Jewish race are absent from her documents? Chiara has never made the fascist salute. Even at school, she managed to avoid it and has prided herself on this small act of tacit resistance. Now, though, she is wondering whether the moment has come, whether that would in some way settle the matter. The truck engines start up and a cry is wrenched from the boy at her side. Mama, he screams, and Chiara snatches him up. He starts to kick her. Mama, mama, he screams again and again. It is all she can do to hold him. She hisses into his ear. Shut up, or the soldier will shoot, and he goes limp against her, a dead weight. Can you give me my card, please, she says boldly. I need to get him home. The driver of the second vehicle shouts something. He is ready to leave. The SS officer glances over at the lorry. His eyes run over its occupants. And then he leans down and tussles the boy's hair. Be good for your auntie, he says, and drops Kiara's papers into the cloth bag hanging from her shoulder. Out of the corner of her eye, she can see the boy's little suitcase up there on the truck next to where he's been standing. His clothes, his possessions, maybe a toy or a bedtime book, something that was his. She can't have any of it, not a single thing, not a photograph, not a vest. The trucks pull away. Chiara stands in a daze with the heavy child in her arms, his face pressed into her coat. Off you go, says the officer, giving her a look that she doesn't understand. He raises his voice, addressing the whole crowd. Go away now, he barks, and claps his hands in a theatrical gesture the show is over. Chiara moves away as quickly as she can, the inert child clutched to her bosom, his feet swinging into her knees with each step. She wonders whether she suffocated him. She takes the road to the river, lurches along the lungo Tevere, under the plane trees, and when she gets past Garibaldi Bridge, she puts him down. He has left a trail of snot down the front of her coat. I want my mama, he says. She looks at him, small, defiant, orphaned, her knees buckle, and she puts her hand to the parapet. For the first time this morning, the sun comes out, giving the leaves above heads, above their heads, an orangey glow. An orangey glow. Down below, a fallen branch bobs past on the engorged river. She steadies herself. "I'm taking you home with me," Kiara starts to say, but stops and grabs at his clothing instead, because he is making a run for it. She hoicks him in clothes, crouches behind him, and pins. His flailing arms shushes him. A label is sticking out from his coat. diena Levy, she reads upside down. That will have to go. She wraps her arms around him tightly, there on the pavement, holding him still, binding him. She takes the end of her tag in her teeth and pulls it, rips it free. All the way home, Chiara drags the boy, kicking and shouting, Mama, until his voice is hoarse. If it were a battle of wills, he might have got away. His determination to run is at least as great as her determination to keep him. But it is a question of physical strength, and he does not have a chance. By the time they get to Via De Capillari, he is silent. Two packed suitcases are in the hall. Cecilia is sitting at her sewing table in the salon. She does not immediately look up. She is hemming a piece of fabric the colour of dams and plums. The folds in the cloth ripple over the edge of the table, almost down to the floor catching the glow from the watery sunlight at the window. She snips the thread with a pair of scissors, straightens up. Finish, she says, and looks at them over the top of her round-rimmed reading glasses. She stares at the exhausted, tear-stained child. Is this my something special, she says to Chiara, then before she can answer. Didn't they have any girls? Oh my goodness, that is the end of the first chapter, and it is quite powerful it is quite an insight into what is going to happen and what is happening and how their lives are forever changed. Cecilia which is uh, um, the sister of Chiara and she's not a very well child and they're going out uh, very soon with their suitcases into the hills where their grandmother lives and getting away from Rome altogether but they have this little boy Daniele Levy whose name has to be changed because unfortunately the surname is going to mark him as a Jewish boy so that's the beginning of the story and as it unfolds it is quite remarkable I may try and find another excerpt which will bring you to the uh, next chapter of the book which brings you into 1970s 1973 and that is fascinating thank you